Okay, well, we're kind of in between series. We're sort of finishing one and about to start the summer series. And so it's great when that happens to kind of sniff the air a bit and reflect and see what God has been saying. And so that's really what I want to draw to your attention of what God has been talking to us about as a church in the last few months and I underline it. And so last week I talked about the importance of corporate prayer and uh, I want to underline that again. If you've missed that talk, I want you to hear that because it's something very significant for us as a church. It's something that God is bringing us into. And then I want to speak this week about the power of praise. The clue is in the title on the screen. The power of praise. And uh, I really want to reiterate a message that I brought to a group of people uh, on our worship day a little while ago. But slightly different. This is for us as a church. And I'm going to talk for a bit, and then I think we're going to just go back into praise and worship. And we've already been getting some of this already today. It's just been a sense of praise being unlocked. I don't know if you felt like it, but during the the worship time, I felt like I was going to burst if I didn't shout at some point. Just wanted to shout praise to God. That's something that God's been doing amongst us, just unlocking that shout of praise. That's something that God's been doing amongst us. We started Jubilee Church just over five years ago now. And uh, we gave it this name, Jubilee, as a prophetic statement of all that Jubilee means in the Old Testament, which is about freedom and restoration and that amazing link with Isaiah 61. But also because of what the name Jubilee means. Because, you see, Jubilee means party. (laughs) It means celebrate. And it's always been something we've talked about, that it should characterize the feel of the church and especially our style of worship, that it would be a joyful, celebratory group uh, and filled with praise, that that would be a characteristic of who we were as a church. It's one of our uh, five cultural values is passion. And passion is about pursuing God and his kingdom wholeheartedly and without inhibition. Speaking to somebody who's been coming to the church for a little while now, she said, Why is it that your people are always so happy? Are they always like this? Are they always so happy? Well, yeah, that's what we hope. That's what we're believing for, that there would be a spirit of praise amongst us that would exude in that kind of joyful happiness. In July 2014, Julian Adams, who's a prophet from South Africa, brought this word to us. He said, and so Jubilee Church... I want you to understand today, says the Lord, that you will usher in my reign in the context of outrageous worship. That's what will mark this church in this season, what will shift the atmosphere in this season, what will displace spiritual strongholds. It will come from the place of outrageous worship. And that was just an incredible encouragement to us because it's exactly what we felt God called us to and has encouraged us to pursue uh, outrageousness. I'm not quite sure what that fully means yet, but some of us are quite outrageous anyway. But ultimately, we want to see spiritual strongholds broken. We want to see lives change, lives transformed by the power of God. And then a few months ago, Angela Cam, another South African, can you see the theme here? Uh, she was with us and she said she felt that God wanted to take us as a church to another level in praise and wanted to work with our worship team to help us to do this. And so we thought about it for all of about 10 seconds, said, absolutely, please come. So on the 7th of May, we drew our team together 
uh, with some worship teams from across, uh, from Handsworth and from Smethwick, uh, just to spend the day pursuing God together and see what he was going to do. Amazing. We didn't do it purposely, but we had Birmingham, the black country, and, the, and Solly Hole rec- all represented on that day and felt that that was significant as well. And I've just asked um, John, who oversees our worship team, to come and share a few things about that day, some of the things that he felt. So, John, would you like to welcome John? So Rob, uh, well thank you for that Rob, um, he, he asked me to come and talk about our, our worship day and uh, maybe if I can just talk you through some of the experience and try and explain how out of depth we actually were on that day because it, it was a bit of fun I have to say. Um, so uh, Rob actually kicked off with a, a variation of the talk he's going to give now so I won't go into that and then obviously we kicked off with praise and worship. Um, but I think most of us know Angela Kem, she's lovely, smiley, and ever so slightly scary. So when she said, um, okay, where are the singers amongst the group? And you know, I thought, okay, we're going to get some prayer, this will be awesome. You know, stick your hand up, yeah, I can just about sing. So the singers get in the middle and she says, okay, now one after the other, you're all going to sing a prophetic song. Okay, that sets the scene for how the day's going to go. It was... Um, it was quite exciting, so you can imagine my relief when I got uh, a passage from the Bible and I was able to sing from it. And I actually want to read that passage because it still stayed with me. It's Psalm 24, and you might recognize some of these words. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Now, why do we sing about gates and doors? It's actually the same thing that Julian Adams was prophesying about, that that praise is like a gateway, that the King of glory might come in. And that was the picture I had, and that's what I sung at that point. So... When Angela then goes on to the next bit of the day, where are the musicians amongst you? I I know where she's going with this. (laughs) Uh, But in for a penny, in for a pound. So the musicians come forward and she said, right, you're going to play your instrument one at a time. You know, no music, no songs or anything. And actually, it was really special. We normally hear us all together and the cacophony that we create. Um, but actually, to hear almost the spiritual dynamic that individuals were able to bring was, was special. And even those amongst us that don't normally play uh, were inspired to come up and just play their instrument. And, and it was just moving. Um, so that was the next bit. That was pretty awesome. We were able to then pray for one another, praying for songwriters. And, you know, I, I had a word that I would create uh, original songs. So amen to that. God, come and do that. But you, you can see where this is going. You know, the next bit, the scary bit of the day was, OK, you're now going to go and write songs. Um, wow. And apparently, I believe Angela wasn't sure that we would actually get there on the day. You know, were we really up for it? But people just threw themselves into it. And I just comment on the unity between the three different worship groups as well. So where, where's my team? There's Grace, uh, Phil, uh, James. I don't think James is out. And Tim. And we went into the room over there and, uh, and you know, three drummers it was going to be quite rhythmic in style and Tim nailing uh, a tune um, and it was it was the one that, that came out lift up your heads we, we've done it a couple of times um, and you know they're pretty raw songs 
but in 45 minutes, it's quite amazing. It's come out, birthed out of the prophetic and birthed out of what God's saying about praise. So it was pretty special, actually. Um, and then came Saturday evening. Now, this is confession time on my part. I had one line that I asked God, you know, don't take me past this line. Um, I was aware that we were going to have people coming from all the churches and we were going to have a worship session in the evening. And I was aware that we had no songs lined up, no worship leaders, no kind of actual groups lined up. And I didn't want to be the person leading when we started that Saturday evening meeting. Uh, But God obviously has different plans. So yours truly started off uh, the meeting, but with with Tim and the lights doing our song. And it was pretty awesome. Um, So that was our day. It was so out of my depth, but I think the fact we were all in it together was just really special. So what I took away from it, first and foremost, was just to value what we do have, uh, an appreciation and enjoyment of the presence of God, first of all. I think that's just core to who we are, and I love that. Second thing was just, just to see how the prophetic worked on the day to really launch us forward. Um being out of our depth, being in unity together, really unlocks something special, I think, as, as different teams. Um, I hope this doesn't sound coarse, but I've described it as feeling naked and standing up here uh, without trying to hide behind songs or an instrument, uh, but actually, okay, God, we're here for you and you alone. And I kind of wanted to let you know that because as worship leaders and the group it's quite scary but if we're in this together and that's the plea then this is going to be quite a special time so you know are you up for that (laughs) we may make mistakes we may kind of get it all completely wrong we may go the wrong direction and fall flat on our faces but if we're in this together actually it's going to be quite a special journey so that prophetic launch was quite powerful and then ultimately where are we going this is the the talk uh, that Rob's got the need for praise and you know we, we would be able to define praise as uh, gratitude and describe, describing God's uh, facets and all that kind of thing but it's more than that the sense I brought was from that psalm and it was a posture of praise that no more is kind of Christians hiding in here from the world but it's lift up your heads that's where the, the psalm comes in be lifted up our ancient doors. Why? That the king of glory may come in. So we stand here. We have a posture of praise. Why? We want to blow the roof off. We want this world to know there is a God that is rock solid, that is our hope, that is mighty to save. And I just want to encourage us. I mean, it was just then awesome to have the, the, the time of praise today and to be able to lift that noise. The world needs us as a church to praise as well. And it seems to me it won't always be kept within these four walls. And that bit scares me as well. But I'll stop there. Oh, thank you so much. That was beautiful. So in short, we believe that God is calling us as a church to a season of praise. And that praise has and is being unlocked amongst us. We've had loads of years of great worship, but not so much praise. And I believe that God has been doing something around praise. So I want to just say a few things about praise and worship. First of all, I want to distinguish between praise and worship. 
we often combine these words and talk about praise and worship as if they were one thing, or we talk about our worship service, uh, but actually they're quite different, and worship leaders in particular know the difference between praise and worship. So biblically, worship means to bow down, to reverence, to venerate, and especially in the New Testament, actually, the, the word that's often used there is a word that, that, that means to kiss one's hand toward, to kiss one's hand towards God. It's, it's a sign of intimacy. It's, it's often characterized as being quieter and more reflective, whereas praise means to commend, to applaud, to magnify or declare, and is often characterized as being louder and more demonstrative. And my observation is that worship seems to fit with our culture better. I don't know if you agree with me there, but this is in part because of what we've come to understand as worship being a a type of music and a a genre of worship music that is so prevalent and has been from the 1970s. It started with people like the Fisher Folk, if you've heard of them, you're showing your age. Uh, the Fisher Folk, the Jesus People, Scripture in Song. Those kind of people were the forerunners of this kind of style of worship. We still use some of the songs today, songs like, I love you, Lord, and our God reigns, I exalt thee. They all come from this era, and they were very anointed. I came across some albums recently from Scripture in Song on iTunes, and I was amazed listening to them. They still... They sound terrible in, in, in a musical sense, but the anointing that's on them is phenomenal. You can still catch the presence of God, the, the move of the spirit that they were birthed in uh, from those songs. I encourage you to have a listen, even go on YouTube and research scripture and song. And so what we have in terms of worship music today is largely a product of these groundbreaking times which broke us away from traditional classical music style of worship to a type of Radio 2 sound, maybe, <laughs> which is much broader, uh, more acceptable to a wider group of people. I, I would prefer to go Jazz FM, but there you go. <laughs> But lots of our songs would tend towards this more intimate, reflective end of the spectrum, rather declaration and praise. And so if we're going to embrace a season of praise, if that's what God is leading us into, and I think he is, we're going to need a whole new season of songwriting. So our worship leaders have been struggling a bit, thinking... There's more space here. There's, there's something happened. There's something changed. We don't have the songs to use. So we're going to have to write some more songs and, and music that expresses in a fresh way what God is doing today. Because every new move of God comes with a new sound. And we've already seen, I think, the beginning of this. I loved on that day that we had four amazing worship songs written by these guys just in the presence of God like that. So what is a season of praise going to mean for us? Well, I think it's going to be challenging. I'm just going to make some statements now about praise. And first of all, to say that praise is countercultural. It's countercultural. And I think that praise is harder for us here in the UK than it might be in some other cultures. Worship seems more natural to us. Historically, we are trained from a young age to acknowledge those that are greater than us. 
It's even within the class system that which still exists, uh, that there are those who are above us and those who are below us. And although it's now been translated perhaps more into the celebrity culture who are the heroes or our betters, until we don't like them anymore, of course, and we pull them down. But culturally, praise is something that is given sparingly or conditionally. So we give praise when somebody has done something good, but in a careful way, because we don't want it to go to their heads. We don't want people to get above themselves. Have you ever heard that? Be careful how you praise your children. We don't want them to get proud or arrogant. And of course, we are very quick to pull people down in in our culture. And my suspicion is that this thinking is often applied to God in the same way. We praise him when things go well, but not for the unchanging facts of who he is and for what he has done. But you see, God is always worthy of praise. Whatever our circumstances, whatever's going on in the world, he is unchanging. He is always faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. He is always, therefore, worthy of praise because of who he is. So, Lord, we just want to break that cultural stronghold that limits us and stops us from crying out praise. We pray, Lord, that you do something new amongst us as a church and as a nation where the people of God stand up and praise with absolute courage in Jesus' name. Just release that amongst us. Thank you, Father. So it's countercultural. Praise is counterintuitive. You know, time and time again throughout the Bible, we are commanded to rejoice irrespective of our circumstances. To praise God is nothing to do with how we feel or our unchanging times and seasons. Rather, it's a position of faith that we decide upon rooted in the unchanging nature and character of God. So consider this in Acts 16, 23 to 26. Paul and Silas have been savagely and severely flogged and they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks. But around about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, the prison doors were blown open and everyone's chains fell off. Paul and Silas had been unjustly beaten. And in the trauma of their pain, they were locked into stocks, which clamped their hands and their legs into this immobile position, which caused cramps and loss of circulation. Can you imagine when you've been beaten and you can't even touch any part of yourself? And the atmosphere there wasn't the kind that you'd want to have a praise and worship session in. The atmosphere was depressing. And according to uh, the standards of that day, a prison was more like a dungeon. It was dark, it was damp, it was smelly. There was no facility for toilet or comforts of any kind. And there's certainly no atmosphere for worship. Yet despite it all at midnight, Paul and Silas 
start to sing and praise God. I mean, what a strange sound it must have been. They can't have been used to that kind of sound in the prison. They would have been used to people groaning, complaining and cursing in agonies. Wow, what an atmosphere change. And suddenly it says there was an earthquake and it shook the prison. God came into that place. And the doors flung open and the bonds of Paul and Silas and every other prisoner was released in the context of praise. We need to praise, don't we? If that's the kind of thing, if, if chains are going to fall off, if, if earthquakes are going to happen in the context of the world, we need to praise. The church needs to praise. Praise provides the channel for God to act and for his kingdom to invade our circumstances. Something supernatural happens when we determine to praise. As I said earlier, God inhabits the praises of his people according to Psalm 22. In other words, God dwells in the atmosphere of his praise. God dwells in the atmosphere of his praise. This means that praise isn't a reaction from coming into his presence. So we get to a certain point in the meeting where we decide it's time to praise. It's the opposite of that. Praise is a decision, a position of faith, which brings us into the presence and the power of God. We should start with praise. It brings us into his presence, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. We start with praise. It's not a reaction or a response. It's a place that we need to start from. That's why sometimes in our worship times, I'll get us to raise a shout of praise. Sometimes we just need to break off the fog. The fog of I didn't sleep well, the kids kept me up, it's rainy and it's dismal here. Break it off, let's start to praise, let's start to stir ourselves. Let's make some noise in this place. Let's clap, let's dance. It's a decision. It's a step of faith. It's not how you feel. And something gets broken over us and God responds and then the power begins to flow. And I just want to say, you know, if Paul and Silas can do this after a beating in such a terrible atmosphere, then why shouldn't we praise? And I think some prison doors will fly open and some chains will fall off for us too. People are so often set free in the context of praise. But the next characteristic that I want to bring to your attention is that praise is offensive. When you imagine that I am the pastor responsible for Paul and Silas, I turn up at their prison one day and I see that they are beaten and that they're bleeding and that they're in agony. And I say to them with the greatest of my pastoral wisdom, well, guys, you know what you need to do. You need to start praising God. I mean, how offensive is that? In your circumstances, Financial difficulties, you've just lost your job, there's sickness, there's trials, there's difficulties. And I come to you and say, look, do you know what you really need to do is start praising God. Start praising God despite your circumstances. It's offensive. Praise is offensive. You do it in the face of circumstances. And even the act of praise is offensive. Remember when David was dancing before the Lord? He was outrageously dancing. He was throwing off his clothes in the presence of God. And it says that Saul's daughter, who is also David's wife, but suddenly gets called Saul's daughter, 
in this context, looked at, at David, looked out on him and despised him. In her heart, as she looked at him whirling and dancing and extravagant in the presence of God. I think last year, I think it was last year, we realized as God had been speaking to us about praise, even last year after, or two years ago even, after Julian had come and we started to press through and obey the word of God, really. So God's told us that we need to praise. So we start pressing. We encountered the spirit of Michael. We encountered the same spirit amongst us, even in ourselves. A kind of cynical spirit that covers up under the guise of respectability or coolness. Now you know how much I value my coolness. I don't know that that was funny, but... (laughs) But this cynical spirit is prevalent in our time. It's in our culture and it's even in the tone of our so-called dry humour, which can be mocking or sarcastic. And so there is a general cultural resistance, as I've said already, to to praise, but there is also a religious part to it too. You know, many people, especially with a more intellectual or teaching background, will justify a more measured approach to worship because, well, they don't want to get carried away. They don't want to get too emotional about things or over-exuberant. I've even said it myself, I just say it publicly and I apologise to you all. I've been to conferences and it's all emotion, you know. It's just soulishness and I sound so spiritual saying it. It so elevates me above these people. I've done that. I've seen the excesses perhaps and I've also seen the real thing and I've not been able to distinguish between it because of the condition of my own heart. Who am I to judge? How am I to know? Who are you to judge? Who are you to know? I've been one of those people. And bottom line, guys, this is a religious spirit. The spirit of Michael is a religious spirit. And it's motivated by fear. Fear of losing control. Fear of excess. Fear of what others might think. (laughs) Fear of what others might think. If I get really carried away, if I start shouting out, if I start praising and I throw off a few clothes, what are other people going to think? Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But for this reason, in part, I want to say as well that praise is a sacrifice. Praise is a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. A sacrifice of praise. You know, people who will let out their hearts in any kind of extravagance of praise will be criticized. They will face opposition. And those who lead us in praise will fear for their reputation. It's a scary thing to lead worship and to lead people into a place of praise. And I just want to commend Joe. I don't know if he's here. He's not here right now. But there he is. Hi, Joe. I want to commend Joe for last week. He stood out and he's bravely said, I'm, we're going to go for praise this week. I'm going to lead you into praise. Now, Joe, you won't know, was completely out of his comfort zone in that. 
But he led us into praise. He stood out, he stepped out, and he led us into praise. It's a vulnerable place to be. It's a scary place to be. So I want to commend you for that, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for that. I was uh, recently in France, the south of France. Did I mention that? (laughs) And uh, on a ministry trip, that's the kind of ministry trip here. And it interested me greatly that I was in the city of Lyon, and outside my window on a fairly regular basis, cars would honk angrily at one another, presumably because people were pressing their horns. And then people <laughs> people would get out of their cars and yell at each other. They'd just stand there in the middle of the street, both of them yelling. You can't hear what either of them is saying to the other, but they're just yelling. And then it's kind of tip the fall up, get back in the car and drive off. <laughs> I mean, that would never happen in England, would it? It would yell, but it would end up with fisticuffs and all kinds of things. Because, and this is what I learned, in France it's okay to raise your voice in public and even shout at someone. But in England, this is forbidden. It's not culturally acceptable. We are not allowed to offend people, but we are allowed to be offended. But don't you dare offend anybody. Does that offend you, me saying that? Sorry. So if you're going to raise your voice in praise, if you are going to express passion and exuberance, you're going to have to make a decision to sacrifice. To sacrifice what people think of you or how your reputation might be affected and do it anyway. It's a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. Do you think we just need to repent together for holding back? For allowing what others think of us to control us? One person, two people nodded at me. Anybody else? You see, now is not the time to go quiet. We're talking about praise. (laughs) Why don't we just repent to God? Let's just come to God right now. Let's just deal with it right now. And say, Lord Jesus, I repent for the times that I've held back my praise to you. I repent, Lord Jesus, for holding back because I'm afraid of what others might think of me. Lord, I want to change my mind about that. So as I repent, Lord, will you change my heart and enable me to declare your praises without fear? In Jesus' name. Amen. And you know, I I think that we need to contend for praise. I think praise is so important. I think we need to contend because it's a weapon of warfare. Praise is a weapon of warfare. And that's why moving into praise is such a battle. Anybody ever felt the battle? Felt the resistance? 
as you even think about it, even on your own at home, when you know you just need to spend some time praising, you need to get yourself out of something, get yourself out of that thug, and just start to pray, start to speak out in tongues or whatever. It's a battle. You feel the resistance in yourself, even in the walls around you, it seems. There's a battle, and we need to contend for praise. So remember the battle of Jericho. In Joshua 6, 4 to 5, it says that on the seventh day, this is God's instruction to Joshua, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. And the army will go up and everyone straight in. Make the whole army. What kind of military strategy is that? Get your priest to blow a few horns. Go around the building seven times and then a loud shout, people of God. That's all we need, just a loud shout. Do you know, if you know your authority in God, you'll know how significant that is. To be able to raise a shout of victory, to declare victory where there's no circumstances of victory, whereas impossible victory is in the shout of the church and the shout of the people of God. Has God ever led you to shout for something that you've not yet seen? I think he's going to. I think he's going to lead us into different seasons of shouting. I remember it's a season in our church a few years ago where we were really struggling with a building and God led us on that evening as we were praying together to shout a declaration of thank you God for the building. It's not presumption, it was led by the Holy Spirit. He led us to, he says, I've heard you, I'm going to get, and look where we are now. Amen. It worked. (laughs) Good strategy, huh? Or there's the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. Verses 18 to 21, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up and praised the the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now that's an interesting thing. The priests fell down, all the people, sorry, fell down in worship. And they stay there. It was the priest that stood up and said, no, we need to shout. And there are times when it's easier for us to get ourselves into that mindset of just bowing down and worshipping. It kind of works with the emotions. We get to that point where it's easier just to stay down. Oh, that's so nice, just soaking there. And those times are right, they're good but we need to be able to get up from that place and start to praise and start to activate and start to do something, start to take authority. And then verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. I just want to say you are appointed to sing praise to the Lord. Church, you are appointed. You are appointed by God to bring praise to the Lord as the church of Jesus Christ, and to praise him for this unchanging nature. And this is what they said, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. We cannot underestimate the power of praise. And I want to tell you that the enemy hates it. 
And you know, it's often in the context of our worship and especially praise that demons will start to manifest and shout out and people will have to leave the room even because it's too unbearable to stay amongst the praises of the people of God. Strongholds have to break in the context of praise. But it's not just to do with raising our volume, because too much volume can lead to deafness, grasshoppers say. (laughs) No, it's much more important that we have a big view of God. It's not about big volume, it's a big view of God. Big God equals big victories. You know, over the years I've learned that warfare is very little to do with how loud I shout, rather it's how clear I am about my firm position in a big big God. Saying that, I think that raising your voice or exuberance does something for us. There's something mysterious about the connection between human posture physically and authority. I mean, how often have you been on a difficult telephone conversation and you know the person can't see you at the other end, but you have to stand up to have that conversation? You posture yourself in authority by standing up to have that difficult conversation. There's something very distinctive about posture when it comes to praise, because in praise we are not bowing down. We're not coming under, but we're getting up, we're standing, and we're taking ground. We are posturing ourselves for victory. There are times when it's right to bow down only to God. You never bow down to your circumstances. You never bow down to tragedy. You never bow down to difficulty. You never bow down to insecurity. You stand. And having done all, stand. That is the most powerful weapon in our warfare when we stand and we begin to praise God who is unchanging, who is far above all principalities and powers, all dominions, all authorities are under his feet and we are seated in him, with him, reigning in that place. That's a position of authority that we can stand in as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Warfare. So let me just finish with some uh, some ideas, just very quickly, of biblical expressions of praise. Firstly, there is declaring of thanks. That's a, an expression of praise, declaring of thanks through him. This is the NASB version of the verse I've already looked at. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name, declaring of thanks. Secondly, clapping hands and shouting. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with a voice of triumph, Psalm 47. Playing musical instruments and dancing. You can't underestimate how important it is just to let the instruments play sometimes. We don't do that enough. I think sometimes we just need to let the instruments play and let that lead us into praise. Um, praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe, Psalm 150. Singing praise songs, Psalm 911. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations 
what he has done. Just singing praise songs does that. Did you read what that said? Proclaim him among the nations for what he has done just by singing praise songs. Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. This is how Paul instructs the church to worship together, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying out in tongues is a praise language, a praise warfare tongue can be given to you. So on the day of Pentecost, it says that uh, the Jews and the converts to Judaism, the Cretans and Arabs said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues through the gift of tongues. Make a joyful noise. Now, for some of you, that is singing. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music, Psalm 98, verse 4. Lifting up our hands, lifting up our hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. By being loud is a way of bringing praise, especially, I'd say, for us in our culture. Being loud is significant for us. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Amen.